0: we've been in a series for a while called, uh, I don't know if you can still spell it with the chaos that we've created, but called We Believe. And we've been thinking through this statement called the Apostles' Creed. It might have been a, a new thing to some of us, but I think it's been about three months now when we've been studying it together, really trying to understand what it is that we believe and what we mean by we believe. Uh, it's been a, a great series. I've really enjoyed teaching it. I've enjoyed the other uh, elements of it. Some of it has been quite apologetic, looking at why we believe. Some of it's been quite doctrinal. These are new words to some of us, let's think about what we believe. Some of my favorite moments have been when other people have shared because we believe, not just I believe, we believe. And a time when we've had one passage, but three different voices and different testimonies of what it means to know God uh, as the God of resurrection and the God of creation. Just just be wonderful. And we're going to finish that series this morning. Uh, if you're in a small group, you'll have a couple more weeks to finish it. But in terms of Sundays, uh, we're going to be finishing that, that together. So I'd love us to read it together this morning for one final time, certainly as part uh, of this series. Uh, so if you're able to see the words and able to read them, perhaps you could share in these words together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, who was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the one holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I wonder what your experience has been as we've explored these words together. Uh, I've really loved sharing in them together, the chance to read together. These words that we share with brothers and sisters in Christ, not just across the world, but across the generations. This is not a new thing. And for me, it's been profoundly moving. I know it can sound strange sometimes when we're all saying the same thing at the same time, kind of a unique experience, but quite a moving for me experience. And the opportunity to stand together and say, I believe Jesus Christ. I hope it's been a helpful and um, meaningful journey for you as well. And this morning, I want to focus on the last part uh, of this creed. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the resurrection of the body. I believe in the life everlasting. Amen. I'd love us just to take chance this morning to think about These three things, we sing about them a lot, don't we? But what does it mean to believe in the forgiveness, literally the forgiveness of our sins? What does it mean to believe in the resurrection of the body? We were just singing about it, weren't we? That we will rise again. What does that mean? And what do we mean by the life everlasting? And really this morning, I'm going to take them in reverse order, just to be awkward but because I believe in the life everlasting, because I believe in the resurrection of the body, because I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Hopefully, that'll make sense uh, by the time we've uh, we've finished this morning. So, I believe in life everlasting. Any fans of uh, Queen this morning? I mean, the band, uh, not our late monarch, yeah? It's okay to admit, yeah? there's one song that's always kind of tripped me up when it comes to Queen. Some of you are thinking of it already. That song, Who Wants to Live Forever. It's kind of a tricky one anyway because of what happened to Freddie Mercury and how short his life was, was kind of cut. But who Wants to Live Forever. A song that he sings, I mean, it's almost operatic, isn't it? It's so he just belts it out, Who Wants to Live Forever. It was actually a song that was used uh, on one of those classic movies that I've never seen. Any fans of the Highlander movie? Yeah? Oh, good. Some people know what I'm on about today. Uh, and the Highlander movie was uh, set in this sort of fantasy fictional world where there were immortal warriors that were battling. Uh, and one of them falls in love with a mortal person. And so this question is asked, who wants to live forever? Because if you love somebody who's not going to live forever, what, what does, what's that like? And that sort of wrestled between the two. But the more I've thought about it, the more I have thought, Freddie Mercury, Brian May, if they're imagining life just continuing on and on and on, then who wants to live forever? Who wants to live forever under a Tory government? (laughs) Who wants, thank you, who wants to live? I'm not being political this morning, I'm just asking a question. Who wants to live forever under these conditions? As Richard was talking at the start of the service, we we know ourselves so well. Who wants to live forever with themselves? With their story, with their struggles, with their words? Who who would want to just go on and on and on endlessly? I think the song's got a point. Who wants to live forever? There's actually a, a recognized phobia around this, uh, a fear of the infinite, a fear of the eternal. Has anyone had the experience of, of um, watching a TV show about space uh, and kind of thinking about the vastness of the universe and the vastness of, uh, of our own universe, let alone all the others, and, and, and also just this idea that we're just hanging there? Has anybody like, had the experience of just thinking, we're just so tiny in the midst of all of this, and if I keep thinking about that, I'm going to go a little bit... Well, some people have had that experience thinking about just the vastness of eternity. What would it mean just to go on and on and on? It's based on a Greek word which just means boundless, a fear of boundlessness, a fear of infinity. And that's a real thing for some people. I've even known some Christians who really struggle with the thought of living forever. So what does Jesus mean by life eternal? A couple of weeks ago, we landed, didn't we, on on this passage from Mark, where I'll turn around because I'm not as good at seeing these days as I used to be. Uh, It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's interesting about that phrase is kind of become a, a Christian cliche, isn't it? Eternal life. But what was he asking for? Well, the word eternal there in the original language uh, in the Greek uh, actually refers to something that is an age-long or an age-like, something that refers to the quality uh, or the style or the sort of personality of a particular era. And so when this guy was asking Jesus, how can I inherit eternal life, he's not necessarily only thinking about the quantity of time, but the quality of time. Life as it was meant to have been lived. Life in the fullness of the awareness of the presence of God without shame or guilt or fear. Love and peace and hope in abundance. When we talk about eternal life, we're not just talking about the length of it. We're talking about the quality of it. That's why some people, when they've translated this verse, translated as, what must must I do to receive the life of the ages? Or to inherit the life of the age to come? That's the question that is being asked here. It's not just more of the same. Of course, who would want to just keep going with more of the same? But life unfiltered. Life unlimited. Life unrestricted in the full presence and awareness of the God who loves us and who holds us. Which is why when Jesus talks about it in John chapter 5, he says this, Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word, that's an active listening verb there, whoever is listening and goes on listening to my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. So what Jesus is talking about is not the experience that happens to us after we leave this world, after we physically die and go somewhere else. He's talking about what we have right now. You have eternal life. Did you know this? If, you've, if you're listening actively to Jesus, if you're trusting uh, the, the, the God who sent him, you have something that will last forever. There is part of you that is an endless life being now, because of this gift of faith and the power of Jesus' grace, you have everlasting life. Jesus' vision for us was not that we somehow stopped believing one thing, started believing something else and just went to church on Sundays. His vision for us is that life in the full awareness of the presence of God without guilt, without shame, without fear would begin now. What did Jesus say? The kingdom is among you. The kingdom is at hand. It's that close to you. Which means that because of the cross and the blood of Jesus, you and I are as close to God as we want to be. The way is open. The access is open. You have eternal life. This is good news uh, the, of, of the gospel. Uh, there's another um, thing I'd love to share with you on this. Jesus talks, um, sorry, in a, in a book that I'm reading at the moment, a devotional sort of daily reading called uh, Jesus Today. Uh, I think it was, it was either this morning or, or yesterday's um, when we we're encouraged to think about who it is that we listen to. Who is it that, that guides our, our thoughts and Who is it that shapes what we believe about ourselves and and our world? Because so often, that can either be shaped by our past or our circumstances or things that have been said to us. Uh, And in that book, it says this, Do not listen to the enemy's lies. Instead, put your trust in me. I am absolute truth. As you come to me, the truth, as you come to know me, the truth, Better and better, I will make you increasingly free. And that's the vision that Jesus invites us into. A life of an increasing awareness, an increasing freedom uh, in his grace. Life everlasting. Uh, We've been talking a lot, me and Tim at the moment, about C.S. Lewis as we prepare for this uh, Narnia show. and I don't know if you know the books well, there's seven of them. Uh, there's not just one. Uh, and the last one is called The Last Battle. And of course, it's a picture uh, of the kind of the battles of the Christian life and then the final battle uh, of it all. Uh, and that book ends with these words. For them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All of their life in this world and their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Sometimes you need a picture of it, then you to try and get your head around it. Eternal life is not, I get to the final chapter and we just take ages to read it. Every chapter better than the one before, life everlasting. But if I'm gonna live forever, something is going to have to shift. Something is going to have to change. So I don't just believe in life everlasting. I believe in the resurrection of the body. Somebody in our house played a really, really cruel uh, practical joke uh, on me one day this week. Uh, I came downstairs and they were pretending <coughs> that one of our kids had become an adult. And I said, this cannot be true. This cannot be real. I cannot be, an ad- I cannot be a parent to an adult, some of you know this experience, right? And one of the things that people often say, are key moments, at key junctures of our lives. People must be saying it to you all the time, yeah, you turning 40 at the moment. Um, throw that in. It's true, it's true, it's true. Date of birth. The, um, but People ask the question, don't they? Where has that time gone? I'm sure you've thought it. Where has that time gone? We talk about life in that way, don't we? Time somehow going. Not where is all that, how has all that life been experienced or lived, but where's it gone? Because we live with an awareness, don't we, that we're we're getting older. Things are shifting and changing, and for sometimes, uh, for part of that, that can be a process of loss. The loss of hair for some of us. I'm not, I'm with you. The loss of eyesight, the loss of energy, the loss of mobility, sometimes most cruelly the loss of memory. We don't like to face it, but the truth is, life can be. There are gains along the way, but there's many losses. Where has that time gone? Where has that life gone? One of my favorite comedians once said he knew he was getting older when his injuries no longer had interesting anecdotes. (laughs) There was a draft, or I slept awkwardly. And we feel that sometimes, don't we? The sense in which time has moved on and the body in which I now dwell cannot do all the things that it was once able to do. Why is that? Why, why does that happen to us? I came down this morning, somebody had been mucking around with the balloons and swapped them around, and I had even more of a shock. <laughs> I thought, I know I'm getting on, but I can't be 81 yet. Do you ever have those moments where you seem to flash forward in life and think, "Wow, one day I will be there. One day I'll, I'll do this. And life can often become about the one day, when I don't have to work, or I don't have to worry about that, or it's all the one day. So often we're so consumed with what has gone and what's to come, it can be difficult to live now. I love the words of the psalmist, Psalm um, 91, teach me to number my days All right. right. We, we don't like to do that, we need to be taught it, don't we? To number them, because they're not going to go on forever in this body, in this life. Then he goes on to say, teach me to number them right, so that I might gain a heart of wisdom. Because living well and living long are two different things. And to live wisely in the time that we have is a gift, it's, it's an act of worship, it's there, it's there in the Psalms. But this body that we live journeys with us, there's all kinds of things that you can buy now that are anti-aging creams. Well, they might reduce the appearance of aging But there's nothing yet that can actually anti-age you and actually change it. There are some serious people in this world with a serious amount of money that are trying to enhance life and make it last longer. And some people believe that at one point we'll discover that gene that makes us die and we'll be able to eliminate it. But unfortunately, the Bible's told us it's destined for us to live once and then to die and then to face the judgment the reason that we die is not just age as we'll come on to think about in just a moment I love these words from 1 Corinthians Paul really is is trying to work out what the resurrection life would be like he's trying to wrap his head around what kind of body will it take to experience the presence of God unlimited what kind of eyes will I need what kind of ears what kind of heart, what's that going to be like he puts it this way. It's a brilliant picture. He says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. i will think about those words in a second. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. And he's pointing out the fact that when you plant something, that seed bears no resemblance or very, very little resemblance at all to what will grow. It doesn't look like a tiny flower or a tiny tree it, it just it looks small and insignificant and you you plant it and he goes on to say this so it will be with the resurrection of the dead the body that is sown perishable this flesh around us that perishes that gets weary that uh, experiences losses it is raised imperishable it is sown in dishonor it is raised in glory it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. He says, what will be bears no resemblance to what is. And so when you imagine the resurrection life, when you imagine life eternal, don't think it's more of the same been in ministry now almost uh, 20 years and as part of that I've done my fair share of funerals both for people in the church and people outside the church as well and it's such a precious moment it's such a powerful moment sometimes we say things to each other like don't be sad remember them as they were especially if they'd had a a sort of a battle towards the end and a struggle Don't, don't think of them that way remember them as they were But what if we were to think of them as they are, no longer perishable, no longer dishonored, no longer weak, no longer just a natural body, but a spiritual body. I believe in the life eternal because I believe in the resurrection of the body. That's why Paul could write to the church in Philippi, our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. What will the resurrection body be like? Well, I do know that somehow it will be like His glorious body, sown in dishonor, sown in weakness, raised in glory. So I believe in everlasting life because I believe in the resurrection of the body, because I believe in the forgiveness of sins. The rumors are true, it wasn't actually a joke. My son did turn 18 uh, this week, pray for me. Pray for us. Still trying to get my head around that. So we've been having all kinds of celebrations and stuff going on. Uh, One thing was last Sunday we got to go up and uh, have lunch with my mum and dad, and my auntie went out for a a meal together, Uh, and uh, they'd offered to pay for us, which was really great. And the waitress came around to take our our orders, and so we just said, "Oh, which kind of meat we're going to have?" And then the question comes: Do you want to go large? I didn't have to say anything, they answered for me, and so I just received that, it was just such, such a gift. And then there's this thing that we do, I don't know if you have this in your house, uh, when all the meals arrive, then we start to swap and exchange bits from each other's meals that we're not going to eat And I had this mound, this mountain of food in front of me. If I'm honest, about halfway through it, I thought I could have, I probably should have stopped. But I kept going. And, And afterwards, there was other food that hadn't been eaten on the table, and people said, John, yeah, I do, yeah. (laughs) And I knew I'd regret it. I knew I'd be too full for the rest of the day. I knew I probably shouldn't drive home with hardly any blood in my brain at all. (laughs) And then the question comes, does anybody want dessert? (laughs) Yeah, I do, I do, I do, yeah, yeah. The question wasn't, do I need it? (laughs) The question was, do I want it? And I, it's perhaps a funny example of something I think that we all face at times, the fact that we've all got habits in our lives, things that we do without thinking about, ans- questions that other people can answer for us. Does he want, yeah, yeah, he does. We've all got appetites, haven't we? And some of it's healthy, but a lot of it's not. Sometimes we say yes to things without thinking. Sometimes our eyes look at things without thinking. Our brain jumps to places and thinks things, or we say something. <coughs> or behind the wheel of the car and somebody angers us and we find ourselves making a gesture that in the cold light of day, if you, asked you if somebody asked you, would a good Christian do this, you knew the answer. But somehow, see, <coughs> sin has entered into my habit. Sin has entered into my appetites. Paul puts it this way, the good that I want to do, I don't. And the stuff I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. And that is a mirror, certainly a mirror of me. And I'm guessing a mirror of you. Sin is not something often that I deliberately go out and chase. See, the truth is, if we have really thought about sin and who inspires it, and where it leads, and what it cost Jesus to rescue us from it. None of us would think about it. But the enemy, the deceiver, dresses it up as something else. Makes it look really tasty, or really good. Or says, you'll feel much safer, you'll feel much stronger if you do this. It's not just something we do, now somehow it's entered into our habits has entered into our lives. It becomes part of the oxygen that we breathe, part of the personalities that we live with. Uh, in Romans, Paul talks, uh, puts it this way, for in my inner being, that's his spirit, that's his soul, I delight in God's law. But I see another work, law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin within me such a powerful image isn't it in my spirit if you ask me do i want to live my way or god's way of course i'm going to tell you i want to live god's way i can read god's word and it can thrill me and comfort me and excite me and encourage me but there's another law at work there's a gravitational pull there's an instinct towards what he calls the law of sin older versions of the scripture describe it this way Uh, Sin in my members or in the members of my body. We have this problem, don't we, that it's not just about what we do or don't do. It's in us. It's part of us and something has got to be done about that. He goes on to say this in the next verse. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Can you see what's being said here, though? See, sometimes in our day, I think we talk about sin, and it's kind of fallen into this sort of camp of emotional relief. We encourage people to seek the forgiveness of sins because you'll feel better about yourselves, and you will. But I think what Paul is envisioning here is greater than that, isn't it? comes down to this question. Do I really want to be rescued from trouble or temptation? Do we want to be saved from the consequence of sin or the cause of it? I was reading a book uh, a while ago that said that confession is one of the uh, least practiced of all the Christian disciplines in the scriptures. And he said that very often when you hear somebody confess to me or you think about it yourself, it very often goes like this. uh, Lord, I sinned yesterday. Uh, and I'll probably sin today. Uh, What I'd really love you to do is forgive me so that I can go out and sin again tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen. (coughs) Very often, we use the cross, the blood of Jesus and the grace of Jesus, to make me feel better about myself. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. Another word that we get confused over in our day is this word, repent. We can think of it about as as, as feeling really sorry about something. Now, when you repent, there often is a a, a very deep and very real emotional experience, but it's not an emotional word at all. Repent simply means to change your mind, to change direction, to do a 180 uh, on something. I've known people who've delayed repenting about something because they didn't know if they felt bad enough about it. Do we really want to grow? Do we really want to change? Jesus didn't come and die on the cross just so we could go out and live the way we did but feel a bit better about it after we prayed about it. He can release us, save us from this body that is subject to death. That's why when Peter writes about the cross, he puts it this way. He himself, that's Jesus, bore our sins in his body. On the cross, it's so important that Jesus bore them on his body so that he might die to sins and live for righteousness. So that we, sorry, might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus, the perfect son of God, Embraces, accepts, receives in his body all of our sin. The Bible tells us he became sin for us. It's great to talk about the life everlasting, the resurrection of the body, but before there can be resurrection, there has to be death. He died so that we might die to sin, not the death of punishment. Not the death of being rejected as he was, not the death of being judged as he was. He did that for us so that we could die to sin and live for righteousness. We'd all turned away, but at the cross we're welcomed back. We're going to share in a moment uh, a celebration of that which Jesus has given to us. An opportunity to remember and to receive, to feast uh, on Jesus in our hearts through faith. Before we do, I'd love just to share one story. Uh, A story that probably a lot of us here will know about a a woman called Joni. Joni's paralyzed from the neck down. As a teenager, uh, she was in a car crash. A really, really difficult life, learning what it meant to adjust to that. Uh, I don't know when it was, but um, I remember reading a while back that she'd uh, marked 50 years in a wheelchair. She's also someone who suffers with chronic pain in every part of her body. And over the years has has battled cancer as well. Incredible woman. She's also written about 35 books. She's the president of this organization that seeks to support people with with disabilities, particularly people with disability and faith. And she writes that as a young person, she would often go when there was a faith healer in town to try and be healed. And she'd be wheeled to a section of the crowd where there were other wheelchairs and there would be a spotlight that would go around the room and different ailments would be called out. And she said, strangely, the spotlight never fell on the area where all the wheelchairs were. And we were wheeled home and left to wonder, did I not have enough faith? Did I not worship loud enough or long enough? And she describes an experience of being at home one night as a teenager, just sat on her bed wanting to die. God, if you're not going to change this, I, I don't want to be here. She was reading through the Bible just for any sense of hope. And she suddenly realized when she got to this one passage that there was one place uh, in the Gospels where they begged Jesus to stay on. But he said to them, No, I've, I've got to go to other villages because I need to preach there as well. And she realized that Jesus saw the heart of the problem. And she said, no wonder why I was so depressed. I was into Jesus just to get my pain and paralysis fixed. She said, it's not that Jesus didn't care about the people with all those problems. It's that their problems weren't the main focus. The gospel was. The gospel says that sin kills. Hell is real. But God is merciful and his kingdom can change you. And Jesus is the way. She goes on to write this. Actually, she preached it when she was preaching somewhere. Don't be thinking that when I get to heaven, I'm most looking forward to a new body, free of cancer or pain, or quadriplegia. Don't be thinking that when I get to be with Jesus, I'm going to relish in mostly jumping up and kicking and doing aerobics. No, what I'm most looking forward to is a new heart. I want a glorified heart that is free of sin, free of selfishness, free of self-centeredness, free of the fear of the future, a heart that is no longer trapped by circumstances or resists God or looks for an escape or tries to justify itself when it's wrong. When I get to heaven, that will be glory for me. What I'm looking forward to most is a glorified heart. There's a song that we sing, An Endless Hallelujah. Uh, there's a line in it that always chokes me. When I see you as you are and love you with unsinning heart. If we think we love him now a redeemed heart, a fully rescued, glorified and graced heart. I believe in the life everlasting because I believe in the resurrection of the body, because I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Would you pause with me to pray for just a moment? being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, until that day. <laughs> Lord, we thank you that over and above and against the law that we often see at work in our bodies, You are at work until that day. And so, Lord Jesus, would you help us, I pray, to live as citizens of heaven, to know what it is to have that atmosphere, that identity, something of a glorified heart, We thank you, Lord, for the goodness of your grace that did not leave us there, but gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Lord, would you help us to be people whose eyes are fixed on the hope that is in you, the hope that is you, to eagerly await all that you've laid before us. And to allow your grace to have its effect, to be healed, to be transformed, to fully die to that part of me that wants my own way, and to live for you until we can say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And Lord Jesus, we thank you today for this table, for this place where we can come and commune together, but ultimately to commune with you. We thank you for these gifts of broken bread, which remind us of a body that has been broken for us. I've poured out wine, which reminds us of a blood that has been shed for us. And to come again in response to your invitation to eat and to drink and to remember. Help us, Lord, today to digest what you've done for us. To receive it, to take it in. Lord, might our faith be fed. And might our lives be changed. Might we encounter you here at this table.